If y'all would join me in, uh, in receiving this word from, from God this morning. We're reading from Acts 1. Uh, it'll be uh, one, verses 1 through 11. So Paul writes, or Luke writes, actually. Um, I wrote this first narrative, uh, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. After he had given instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, he said to them it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus the same Jesus who, who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you all again for being here. Uh, it is a new year, and New Year's are a great time to start new things uh, in our life. I, I'm just curious. I mean, anybody make... A New Year's resolution, just like one. Okay, I only see like two hands. Is that it? Did anybody make like a New Year's resolution? Okay, two, three, four. So not not many. Okay, three, four, five. Okay. Uh, I encourage it just because it's a good time to start. I mean, you can make a resolution at any time. Uh, but New Year's are great times to start new things. Uh, often, you know, we do it for our life, for our relationships, uh, and for our church. Uh, for our church, at least those who are leading this church, uh, we'll be starting some new things that you will see uh, both in worship, uh, both in communication to y'all uh, as members, as I said earlier, and in terms of the preaching here, a new series, okay? So we'll be starting this new series into 2018 uh, that I'm calling, or we're calling, Spirit-Filled. Spirit-Filled. Uh, two simple words uh, that are very important uh, for your life, for my life, uh, if we call ourselves Christians, and are very important if you do not call yourself Christian, uh, whether you admit that or not, but I'm talking about in your heart, spirit-filled, because it is the Holy Spirit how we become a Christian, how He leads us to Jesus' work. Jesus did the work, but it's the Holy Spirit that draws us uh, to him. So those two words again, spirit filled. First, uh, and just briefly want to highlight them spirit. That would be the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, to be quite honest, it is all we have, all we have uh, to, to grow in our Christian lives. And you would say, well, we've got the Bible. Yes, we have the Bible. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, it is God here present with us on earth. God sent the Spirit to us. Uh, one big thing that Jesus said over and over before he departed is I send the Spirit. He called it an advocate for you lawyers out there. I don't know if we have many, but advocating for us and to us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is all we have, okay? But it is the greatest thing we have, uh, and it's greater than any natural thing, and that would be like everything on this earth uh, because it is supernatural. The Holy Spirit brings joy. Uh, the Holy Spirit brings Miracles, uh, the greatest miracle of all is when you become a Christian uh, and you're saved from death and hell. But the Spirit is, is all we have. And the Lord has convicted me, or the Spirit has convicted me, to really try to draw us, focus us uh, on uh, this person of the Trinity that the Bible calls, we call the Holy Spirit. Because he's, he's all we have and He's everything. That we have. And to try to do everything with uh, the minimal gifts that God's given me to focus you on the Holy Spirit. And then the word filled. Because you can say the Holy Spirit is out there. I mean, the Holy Spirit is here. Holy Spirit uh, is in every, I believe, gospel believing church. But not all churches are gospel believing. That might be a question you could ask me for another day. But He's here, but to be filled. For you to be filled individually. Uh, that changes, that affects and impacts uh, your relationships. If you're a student at school, uh, if you are going to work, uh, if you are married, if you are single, if you have kids, to be filled with the Spirit changes everything. Now, a person can be filled with the Spirit, and a church can be filled with the Spirit. church can be filled with the Spirit uh, in worship, as we talked about, uh, but also in, in everything, in the preaching and teaching, but also in a church meeting, uh, as we'll see later uh, next week in Acts 1, uh, in, in missions, um, in neighborly love. And that doesn't mean that your neighbor has to go to the church you go to or not, but in everything, to be filled, to be spirit-filled. And I want us to walk together the next several weeks and maybe even months. What does that look like? What does that look like? And we have this, uh, this vision of what it looks like in the book of Acts, as Hunter read uh, the first 11 verses, the book of Acts. So we are in this series, we're going to be going through the book of Acts. Now, let me say this, it is one of my, if, if not my favorite, one of my favorite books uh, in all the Bible. Why is that? Well, I, I don't know about you, but I love the word adventure, uh, and I love a vision for adventure in life. And, you know, I, I love to read. I love books. But growing up as a boy and even as an older boy, I guess, uh, my favorite writer has always been this guy named Robert Louis Stevenson. Anybody know who Robert Louis Stevenson is? Anybody? Anybody? A few. Okay, thank you. So he would write very adventurous books. Uh, two of his most famous and my favorite, Treasure Island and Kidnapped. Of those books. You know, if, if uh, the Lord... I hope this never happens. But like, you know, if your house is burning, what would you go to? After the family was all out, I, these old kid books that I have still got them of, uh, of Robert Louis Stevens. Those, those are just very treasured for me. Now, I say, like, how does that tie in? Well, this adventure, I think about the treasure of the gospel. 
uh, that we seek treasure all of our lives. And I think of this kidnap, that often we can be kidnapped by the snares of the world and by the pressures of the world. Uh, the pressure to find treasure elsewhere uh, in friends, in the right friends, in, in wealth, in toys, in escapes. And so the book of Acts is, is really focused on the treasure of the gospel and getting people released uh, from being kidnapped uh, by the world. I want to highlight one verse. This is the last verse in the book of Acts. We won't be hitting it today. Uh, we will at some point. But Acts twenty-eight thirty-one, And this is, is about Paul. And so the book of Acts ends. This is, this is how it ends, okay? So showing the end at the beginning. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, if you know anything about Paul, and some of y'all do, but some of you may not, Paul, uh, before he started preaching without any hindrance and with boldness, he was, uh, he was killing Christians. Uh, the best depiction I've ever heard of Paul when he was Saul, okay, would be like an ISIS terrorist in the Middle East killing Christians. Now, that may be like a radical shift in your thinking, but like that's who he was. Uh, he didn't just persecute him and like he was trying to kill Christians and stamp out this early church. And then he was changed by the Holy Spirit, by a vision of Jesus. And now he's preaching with boldness, with boldness, not meek, not mild. You can be soft and be bold at the same time. But where does this boldness come from? Because if you, and we're going to look more in depth in Acts 1, I mean, these are, these are poor and poorly trained uh, and, and weak uh, and questioning. And this is Jesus in front of them, okay, the disciples. And how do they move? Because they do. Peter certainly does. And Paul does. To become bold proclaimers of the gospel uh, and church planners and even martyrs. Because all these disciples here that we read about, were martyred, except for John, okay? And if you know this, which I've always found fascinating, the Roman Empire wanted to kill John, the disciple John, so much, they threw him in a vat of boiling water, and he survived. So they just exiled him on a Greek island, which many of us would be like, I'd love to be exiled on a Greek island. But he was like near a hundred, and he saw the vision of Jesus in Revelation. But all these guys preach him with boldness, planting churches across first the Middle East and then into Europe, uh, and then gave their life physically for Christ. How does that happen? Two words, spirit-filled. There is a change when you're spirit-filled. There is a change that many of us, I'll throw myself in there, uh, would undergo because we might not be there now. There is a different uh, look. There is a different presence. There is a, there's just a difference. So Acts 28, 31, that's, that's how it ends. Uh, Acts could also, even though I mentioned Paul, Peter, John, Acts could be said the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It could be titled that. Some folks have said the subtitle for Acts could be the continued ministry of Jesus Christ. And I think Acts has uh, great stuff for us to learn as a church. You know, we talk about strategies or, or growth or growth in numbers or growth in learning uh, it's all in Acts. Acts is a great blueprint for your growth, for our growth. Interestingly, 30% of the whole book 
is just the disciples teaching what is the gospel. 30% of the whole book is just them preaching and teaching with boldness the gospel. So we will be in Acts. Let me say this. Over this series, and it will take us a couple months, but over this series, we're not going to hit every verse, okay? Uh, I'd love for you to read every verse. We will be focusing in the place in Acts where it talks about the Holy Spirit. And we will cover every chapter till we get to, to the end there. But today, we're going to hit every verse. Because this, uh, Acts 1 and Acts 2, are two of my favorite, really favorite chapters in my favorite book. And have really a lot about the Holy Spirit's coming that I want to key in on. So let's start with verse 1. As it was read earlier, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to hit highlights and just words and people that I really think that the Holy Spirit has led me that you should really key in on and convict. So I don't know if you're taking notes. You don't have to. Uh, but if you're not, at least try to underline these words, okay? Because the Spirit has moved me about them. First, verse 1 is a person, Theophilus. Kind of a strange name, Theophilus. Who was he? What's the point here? So Theophilus, so you know, was a, a person of high rank and authority who was a Roman citizen. What does that mean for us today? Basically, I think just about, maybe not 100%, but I'd say 90% of us here are like Theophiluses. Okay? And what I mean is we're pretty much established. Uh, we are, let's say, middle to upper class. Uh, we're not on the, the margins of society. I mean, I definitely want this church to reach people from the margins of society. But the majority of us here, okay, would be like a Theophilus, okay? Pretty good citizen, working hard to be a good citizen. Yes, we're trying to make ends meet. Yes, probably need more money we have coming in. But we're like, we've got a, we got a, it's got a position in this in this world, we call either Metro Jackson or Northeast Jackson or Madison or wh- wherever it is. And so this was really written for people like Theophilus to be sure of what they believe. And that's many of you. Because you say you believe and, oh, this spirit thing's interesting. I mean, I know Jesus is my Savior. No, I got, you know, got my place in heaven. I'm, I'm good. But this Acts is written so you can be sure of what you believe. So this is, this is written for me. This is written for you. Second word here is Jesus. In verse 1, and then he goes into verse 2, talking about Jesus. It's, it's easy for us to get caught up and say, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are about Jesus. And Acts is like Peter, Paul, John, as you said, or you know, other folks. But Acts is about Jesus. The Bible, the whole Bible. Uh, Ezekiel, which I've never done a sermon series on Ezekiel. It, who knows? It might come. I mean, that doesn't really fire me up. It probably didn't fire you up. But it's all about Jesus. I put a quote up here by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I quote a lot, like a lot. The starting point, and this is about Acts, the starting point, the fundamental thing, is that Christianity is about Jesus. I've written to you already about him, said Luke, in this first verse of Acts, and I'm going to tell you more about him. Christianity is not a teaching. This is really important for you to know. It's not a teaching, it's not a, a moralism, it's not a philosophy. Christianity is a person. It's Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ was the theme of the preaching of the early church. So as we go through Acts, we're going to see the theme is Jesus. He is the theme of the Acts of the Apostles. So it starts with Jesus. Even though it's about other people, it's all going to be about Jesus. 
As we go through it, we'll see how Jesus impacts lives by his spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. Spirit of Christ. Hopefully dwelling with you, dwelling here with us. And it goes on in verse 3 that Jesus, it says, this is after he rose again, which I've always found this time uh, fascinating, these 40 days, okay? Love to have been like a fly on the wall. Like, what was going on there? Well, it says that Jesus was giving them many convincing proofs. Proofs of, of who he was, of what was going on. So I always ask, what are the proofs? Like, you know, you saw Jesus on the cross, okay? If you remember your Bible story, if you're, if you're a Christian, and then you've seen him rise. What's the proof that you need? What is there for Jesus to prove? And yet here, it said he spent this time giving them many proofs. Well, I would offer three. Now, I believe this is spirit-led, but it's coming out of my mouth, so this isn't stated here in Scripture. But I would offer three proofs. One, he gives them proof by what I just talked about. They saw him die. They saw him rise again of his victory over death. There's a proof there. He was dead. They saw his body. He is alive. Victory over death. That is, that is a proof that I hope that we carry. I, you know, unfortunately, I have to go to a funeral on Tuesday of a lady who made a huge impact in uh, my life. My early marriage uh, was there when Jack was born. She's gone on to glory. She has victory over death. Uh, I've done funerals. We have walked through funerals here. We will walk through funerals again here. But Jesus, the proof is there's victory over death. One day the physical body, the Bible says, is not opinion, will rise again, just as Jesus did. So it was a proof of that. Uh, secondly, he gave a proof that he was establishing his kingdom. His kingdom. I mean, we talked about this two weeks ago with Christmas, with the kings and the wise men and King Herod, but establishing a new kingdom. And if you're a Christian... Uh, let me say that you may not believe this. We can debate this at a later time, but I do believe this. If you're a Christian, your primary citizenship uh, is, that of, is that of heaven, is it Jesus' kingdom. It's above and before citizenship of any earthly nation. Uh, it's an above and before any, you know, that your locality here, resident of uh, city. Actually, the Bible calls us resident aliens. And so Jesus is saying, I'm establishing this new kingdom where he is king, and uh, the, the rules of this kingdom are different. Like, what do you mean? Well, in the, in the kingdoms of the earth, you know, you've got to advance and doing good. And maybe that's doing good making money or, or being a good citizen. The rules of Jesus' kingdom is anybody, everybody, no matter how you look, no matter what you've done, in a moment can be a citizen of his kingdom. So it is an upside-down kingdom. Uh, our kingdoms, we promote uh, those who look good and who have... A lot of gifts. Jesus' kingdom, uh, it promotes the marginalized. It promotes the lost, the hurting, the other that I've taught for years about in John 10, 16. So he's establishing this new kingdom. Uh, Other kingdoms go to war in battle. Uh, Jesus' kingdom go to make peace, but are bold and passionate about proclaiming the gospel, even to the degree that they will offer up their lives for the lost, for the hurting, for the broken, it's a radically different kingdom. It is otherworldly, yes. It is supernatural, yes. And Jesus says, I'm busting that in here now. And which we as his church are a part of. And then the third thing that I would say, the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he goes on, he's like, I'm promising you the Holy Spirit. 
We've talked about that spirit field. Now, those three things, victory over death, if a church proclaims that, establishment of a new kingdom, what that looks like, if a church lives that out, the promise of a Holy Spirit, something uh, that is not natural but supernatural, where those three things reside. And I'm not saying they fully reside here. I mean, I, I want them to, but you've got to work at it. You've got to work in prayer. I know that's kind of random, putting prayer and work. But you've got to pray. You've got to say, Lord, you know, what are you doing here? You, Lord, we've we got to proclaim this. But where those three things are united, world mission, evangelism to neighbors and nations will follow. And so I'd, I'd love, as we're going through this, to think of it, because we're going to be dealing with, like, this church, Bellwether Church, throughout this. Victory over death, the establishment of a new kingdom, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Those are present. You're going to see an outflow of a heart for neighbors and nations. And that's what I want here. That's what I want you to want here. Okay? Then, I think that's interesting. Verse 4, he says to wait. Verse 4, wait. I'd underline wait. Who likes to wait here? Anybody? <laughs> this is one time I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised to see no hands, okay? Wait. Uh, I like to act. I like acts because it's called acts. Uh, I like personally to be known as a guy of action. Uh, I like people of action. They're determined. They're like, this is what I believe, this is where I'm going. We act. Actually, I mean, I think in our culture, we really promote people. Hey, he acts. He gets it done. You know, man, that, that guy, that gal, he's going to get it done. And here Jesus says, wait, wait. Sometimes the greatest action, let me say this again. Please listen to me here. Got Check in, please. The greatest action we can often take is to wait. It's to wait. Uh, the greatest mistakes, and I've made mistakes, have often been to act. You know, you talk about revival. I love that word, revival. Uh, I mean, I want to see revival here. Uh, I think all churches should be uh, revival, just going on, going down. Uh, but you have to wait on revival. Like God, can, let me say this. Check in here, please. God can do more in one minute than we can do in 50 years of organizing. I, you're like, you may debate that. That's fine. I believe that. God can do more in one minute than we can in 50 years of like planning and strategizing and gathering. And so sometimes we have to wait. But as we're waiting, we can pray. We have God's word. We can, we can delve in. We can dwell. We can meditate. We can read. We can memorize. We can pray. I'll give you one example real quick. There was a situation. I'm not going to say what the situation was. But it was, say, December 20th, right before Christmas. That occurred in my life. Had to do with ministry. And, man, I just wanted to act. Uh, it, was a, it was a response. Actually, it wasn't a response. Probably more a reaction. I was like... I feel wronged here. I'm just going to state, you know, here's, here's what I'm doing. Here's the plan. Here's, here's where I'm going. And through some wise and godly counsel, uh, I was told uh, to not act. And to just wait. And wait over the holidays. Uh, and I, don't, I mean, how many of y'all like, get frustrated to wait? Can I see everybody show of hands? I mean, it's just fr- like, come on, man. Like, patience, you know, fruit of the Spirit is patience. You know, we can't mark that out. And I just wanted to act, and I just, just hold, wait. And so, you know, going through 10, now 15 days or so, I have a different response. 
And I was talking to the Lord about it, praying through it, thinking, thinking through it too. And I have a, have a different response that will, will play out. So often we, we do need to, to wait. So Jesus says, wait, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You know, we can't, we can call upon the Holy Spirit, but we can't, like, like bring the Holy Spirit down. The Holy Spirit is his own person, and sometimes we just have to wait on him and wait on what God's doing in us and pray, Spirit, come. Just Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, just please come and trust in the Lord. So, you know, all this is said, and then the disciples say, okay, this is great. We're going to wait on the Holy Spirit, but they're... They're, they're men of action. At this point, they're stupid men of action, to use that word. They are. And they say, okay, Jesus, or now you're restoring your kingdom uh, to Israel. And, you know, I was reading about this passage, and, and let me say this. Uh, those of you who have uh, ever taught uh, kids, youth, adults, uh, Hunter, Neil, small group leaders, anybody like that, Great encouragement because these guys are with Jesus and they still, they've been with Jesus like three years and now 40 days and they've seen the resurrection and they still don't get it. Uh, so the thing I read is like, take courage, you preachers and teachers out there. You know, if you ever like question, man, why don't they just get it? Well, they didn't with Jesus, okay? And I'm definitely not Jesus and we're definitely not Jesus. So you get it when the Holy Spirit moves on your heart, not man made or person made words. The Holy Spirit. So they said, man, are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? Now you're like, how does that apply to me? Well, I think it applies greatly because, you know, often I think you get saved, to use uh, church language, or you come to know Christ, and then you're like, okay, now God, are you going to restore my kingdom? Like, the way I draw it up? So my version of white picket fence? So like, I got to, uh, you know, I mean, my, my children, they got to be on the best sports teams. They got to be on the best friend groups, um, really wish, you know, you'd heal this child of this or that physical or mental difficulty. Um, I need some money, okay? I'm yours now. Bring my kingdom home, baby, you know? It's the same question. Earthly, earthly power, earthly position, uh, earthly things, same question 2,000 years later. And... Jesus' response is first, hey, you don't know the times. So one is like, you know, I mean, I used to get caught up in the, you know, when is Jesus coming back and all that. And many books have been written, many of them unbiblical, just saying, okay. And he's saying, first off, it's not for you to know God's plan. Instead, catch a vision for God's plan right now. That's what he's saying. Because there is a lost and dying world, to be very explicit, all around you. That you have what they need. So instead of focusing on like God's plan in the hereafter and everything, catch that vision for God's plan right now, Jesus is saying, and be my witnesses. Famous verse, one of my favorite verses, somebody else's favorite verse, verse 8, but you will receive power. Power not of your body, not of your mind. So not working out New Year's resolution, not reading more New Year's resolution, not eating right or what. When the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Real quick, witnesses. What does that look like? What is the mark of a witness? I really want to emphasize this. And 
I've preached on this often before, but to, but to summarize, uh, I think you could have, I think you have two marks of a witness. One is two weeks ago, I preached on peace. We were in Advent. And I think a, a better word I want to use, a mark of a witness is poise. And this poise carries this peace, this presence, this power. Uh, and sometimes power is, I mean, you don't have to like speak loud or it's just a, a presence that you have. As you walk, as you walk in your world, as you walk in your, uh, in your family, as you walk in your marriage, as you walk in the time when you've lost a loved one, it's a poise, a presence, a peace, a power. Where people say, what, is, what does that person have? I mean, they've, they've got something. I mean, I, it's just, you, you can't articulate it, but you just know it when you see it. It's that poise. And the second mark of a witness, I would say, they will go. They will go to neighbors and nations, to neighbors or nations, and they will also wait. And they will say, you know, the time's not right now, but I'll go whenever. I'm, I'm yours. I really believe those two marks of a witness, this poise and this willingness to go or to wait. And so... I, I want to close up here. We move to the ascension. And we really don't highlight the ascension very much. And I just I say that as, as we close. But the ascension of Jesus is very, very important. Uh, verse 9, first he was taken up into a cloud. And we think about that as like he goes up to the sky and there are clouds in the sky. What if it was a clear day? Okay. Well, there's a cloud there, so obviously it wasn't a clear day. The cloud here is not like clouds we think of. The cloud, we believe is the same cloud that was with Moses on Mount Sinai, same cloud in the Old Testament that went through uh, the tabernacle in Solomon's day, same cloud that came down, if you know the story, Jesus and the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. The cloud was the glory of God. He was moving up into the presence of God, his Father, the glory of God. And so the disciples are looking up, and then you have these angels. These angels. And they're saying, angels are saying, like, man, why do you look up? I mean, I know it's great and awesome, but, like, it's time to look down and around now, okay? And often I think I or we can get caught up in, like, you know, when's Jesus coming again and everything. The angels are, are whispering to them then and now, like, look around you. Catch this vision. There, there's a lost and dying world, to say that again that needs to hear the good news of the gospel, of this upside-down kingdom, that, that anybody can be a citizen any moment, any time. And you're saying, look around. There's a, a verse, uh, not, excuse me, not a verse, a statement. William Carey, put that up on screen. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. William Carey, if you don't know who he was, he was a, uh, a cobbler, which in England is poor, Poor cobbler, became uh, one of the, the greatest missionaries to India uh, a couple hundred years ago. Attempt great things from God and expect great things from God. I think that's what the angels are saying to them now. Like, man, he's, look around. Catch this vision, this, this world. And the Spirit's going to come in Acts 2, as we'll see. Uh, but the last things I want to show is, or really preach or proclaim to you, is what does the ascension mean? Like, okay, it means you just went up and we're still here. Three quick things. First, it was a visible demonstration of Jesus' return to heaven. I mean, 
the disciples had to see and we have to see. Jesus, his, his body, is gone now. And I say that very specifically because the Holy Spirit has come now. And they are the Trinity, the God. So Jesus, the person, is in heaven. But it also shows, secondly, that it's a demonstration of how he will come again. And when I, when I really think about this, and I, I really encourage you, I mean, don't think about lunch right now. I mean, just imagine, like, like just question it. Is that real? Like what I just said, like, it, it's a demonstration of how he will come again. Coming down in the cloud, the presence of God to this earth to fully establish his kingdom. With every fiber or whatever, a particle of my being, I, mean, I believe that. We teach that to our kids. Come today, this afternoon, tomorrow. could be a couple hundred years. It could be long after we're in glory with it. We could be coming with him. But it's for us to see, this is how it will come again. This is how it will come again. And he will come again. But then third, I want you to think about this. This is probably most important. Right now, uh, Jesus here got promoted. Okay, All through time, the Bible would say, Jesus is with the Father. I mean, the world was created by Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, all that. It's not too bad. But now, the dust of the earth, and I say dust of the earth because his human body, as Adam was made from the dust of the earth, his human body is somewhere in the universe that we call the right hand of God. And so he was promoted. Now, what's he doing there? Is he just sitting? No, he's there for you. He's there for each of you individually. Just read through the book of Hebrews. We don't have time today. He is talking about you to God. That's what the Bible says. There's a great hymn written about this. Last thing on screen I want to show. Before the throne of God, and that's where Jesus is right now. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, for you. My name is written on his hands. My name is written on his heart. It's written by Charity Bancroft. I don't know what you know about Jesus. I know you probably know he died for you. He rose again. But right now, the person Jesus is loving you, is pleading for you, is knowing you, is talking to his Father. And if you're a Christian, you believe in him, if you believe in him, you're Father too. And if you get that, and often it's hard for you to get, I know that because it's hard for me to get, that he loves me that much, that he loves you that much, that it's like real love, it's greater than romantic love, it's greater than emotional love. But if you get that love, then that love overflows And that's when you start really, really loving on those neighbors and nations. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit coming. Holy Spirit residing. Getting that love. Do you have it? Do you want it? Hope you do. It's who Jesus is. It's who he's calling us to be. And he's sending his Holy Spirit. As we're going to see more and more. To know that love. As he said to Theophilus, said to you, to be sure of what you say you believe, but to really, like, get it, reside in it. And it changes how you walk, how you talk, how you relate to people, people in the ends of this world, people on the margins, your marriage, how you speak to your wife, to your husband, to your children. It's different. It's a witness. 
It's that poise. It's that willingness to go and to wait. But to call on his spirit. So I'm going to call on his spirit for you and for me uh, right now as we're going to take communion. So I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, those who are helping me serve, y'all come on up now. Worship team or those who are up and lead us, y'all come on up now. I invite you to take communion. Uh, We do this just about every Sunday. We do it uh, not as a tradition, uh, but because it was Jesus' command uh, to say, remember, remember what I've done for you. And so you have a a Lord, uh, a Master, a Savior who gave His life. Who gave His life. And now it's continuing to give Himself for you uh, in this place in the universe that we call the right hand of God right now. I'd love for you to think on that. I'd love for you to dwell on that as we come forward to take communion. I, I simply invite you, you definitely don't have to. Actually, we, we would prefer that um, you know, your hearts be really in tune to uh, the word that's been spoken, the worship that's been going on. So uh, I pray that you would come in the right spirit, in the right heart, uh, thinking about, praying about what the Lord uh, has done for you, what the Lord will do for you. And so I just pray that as the Holy Spirit is here, He really comes into your heart uh, in this time. Again, I invite you all. We're going to pray, and then ushers will direct you from the back. Those of you who are Bellwether members, those of you who feel led here, you can give at this time. We're thankful for your gifts. And let's pray together. Jesus, all you've done for us, I pray that we would know all you're doing for us. I pray that... We would know, uh, Holy Spirit, come. I know, you, I know you're here, you're, you're dwelling, but really come into our hearts. Uh, change our hearts where we act differently to one another, uh, to people we know. We have that sense of your supernatural peace and poise. And we're willing to go, and go sometimes means having a conversation. Uh, other times it means going to nations. Uh, other times it means going to a person in need. It just, just that we're willing and we're open. But Lord, I pray that those who come forward, that you come and you just dwell in them, reside in them. And we're a church that helps keep that dwelling and keep it strong and keeping that flame uh, lit and alive and and light a flame in us over this this new year, this new season, uh, the weeks to come, and and let it just burn. And as fires burn, it spreads uh, to the ends of the earth. And that's what your church has done. And we're just thankful to be a small part of that. And I just pray, come into us more and let your fire uh, just grow in hearts and in this church. In your name, Jesus, amen.